0: Well, all right. Well, happy Sunday, church. So glad that you're here. Thanks for spending some time to hang out with us. My name is Kurt. Uh, I'm one of the pastors around here. And I'm so glad that you are joining us this Sunday morning uh, as we are in the week three of the series we've been in for the month of October called On Mission, looking at our new mission statement, looking at the new thing that's going to drive and direct us as we move forward uh, into our future as a community. And that is to empower all people to love and follow Jesus. And so each week of October we've looked at one of those phrases. And so before we get to today and what we're doing today, uh, I just want to take a minute to acknowledge what happened here last Sunday because it was awesome. Last Sunday as we looked at the idea of all people, uh, we created an opportunity for all of us to uh, think about and ask the question of who are the exceptions in our mind when it comes to all people? Like if, if God says we love all people, the question for me is Who's my yeah, but? And we all have them, right? We all have them. And yet last Sunday, we got to bring those to uh, the foot of the cross and say, if we believe that Jesus is for all people, I want to surrender my exceptions. And so if you weren't here, uh, you missed it. And I'm really sorry. Luckily, uh, incredible people invested in our live stream technology. So if you're watching on live stream, what's happening? We're so glad you're joining us. And you can go to our website and look at and watch uh, last Sunday's message and really all of our messages for Years, Uh, they'll be on the internet forever as long as we're alive, I think. Uh, But you can check that out uh, and be a part because we don't want you to miss what God's been doing uh, as we've looked throughout this series at these uh, different words. And so, today, uh, as we continue to move forward and dream bigger dreams and create new solutions and, and pioneer new pathways for people to experience the love of Jesus, today we're looking at the statement of love and follow these two words that are in this sentence that is going to drive how we uh, make decisions moving forward. These two words, love and follow, when it comes to our relationship with God and how absolutely revolutionary they are for your life and mine. The, I don't know about you, if you grew up in church like I did, the idea that God is this kind of, place where you engage in a relationship, that might be what was normal to you, right? That that the idea that God has anything to do with love uh, is, is somewhat new, but perhaps that hasn't been your story. Perhaps that hasn't been something you've experienced. But certainly when Jesus was walking around on the planet in the first century, that was not at all how people understood who God was or what God was about. And so I think it's so important as we look at what the scriptures say, and specifically what Jesus had to say about how do we engage with God, That this is going to be as revolutionary today and for our culture as it was for that first century culture uh, that Jesus was walking around on the planet. You should know that uh, when Jesus was walking around, again, a couple thousand years ago in the Middle East, there were lots of different people that followed him around. It was actually very common and very normal. Uh, there were certain people that whenever Jesus came to their town, uh, they would show up and they would go see what Jesus had to say and see if he was going to feed everybody this time like they had heard he did last time. You know, see who, what he was going to heal, or, you know, what he was going to do, any miracles, or like I'm just excited to see a miracle. You know, and they would show out to, to where Jesus was in their immediate vicinity. But then when he would move on and go to another place, they would go home. Uh, we're going to refer to this group as the groupies. Okay, so there were Jesus's groupies that would show up when he was near them. It was convenient, but then they would go back to their place. There was another group of people that we'll call the followers, and they would actually literally follow Jesus around. Like from town to town, they would go with him. Lazarus was a part of this group before he got sick. Mary Magdalene was a part of this group. They literally would travel with Jesus everywhere he went. Imagine if that was your church experience. Like you had to find where church was. Like, where's Waldo but with the pastor? Like, it's, it's difficult, right? But that's what Jesus, you know, did and, and many other spiritual teachers and rabbis would do. And so there was a group of people, about 175 people, that actually traveled with him in his entourage. And then there was a group of people that we call the apostles that perhaps you've heard of before. These were the inner circle. These were people that Jesus specifically invited to be close to him to implant wisdom and understanding because he was about to empower them to carry on his same message after just three years. Now, if you own your own business or if you're a parent, imagine releasing people to do the thing that you were sent to the planet to do after just three years of investment. Like I have a three and a half year old daughter. It's like imagine letting her loose on the world, right? Like hey, just you know what? It's time to get a job. Like you still need to contribute to the family. We've I've given you all that I can give you. It's time to go. Uh, that would be bad for her and her boss, because they would have their hands full, because uh, she's, she's a boss herself, uh, you know, but that would, be, that would be kind of what this is like. Imagine handing over your business to, to an apprentice after just three years. I mean, this is a big risk, and we learned the first week of this series that Jesus is actually all about empowering other people, so that's exactly what he did, and so he gave them very specific instructions. He said, this is the message I want you to continue passing along. This is where I want you to go. This is how I want you to engage with people who are not like you. This is what I want you to do if someone rejects you or if someone accepts you. He gave them very clear instructions that they then carried on so well, mind you, that now 2,000 years later and thousands and thousands of miles away from where Jesus walked on the planet, you and I are still here. Right? And so we're going to look at what Jesus said when he invited some of these very first people that would be in that inner circle, in the apostles, in, this, in his kind of closest group of friends and followers. But before we talk about what he asked them, I want us to think about what would happen if Jesus asked you. Like, you know, like you just got to chat with some folks. Hey, I don't answer phone calls if I don't recognize them. How many of you would say, nope, if you're not programmed in my phone, not going to answer? right? How many of you would say, if you're calling me, it's not 2001 anymore, I'm not answering, period, right? So, yeah, nah, right, good, right, perfect. So now we know, okay, just text me or DM me or whatever, right? So uh, if, but let's pretend for a moment, even if he's not programmed in your phone, let's pretend Jesus called you, you personally. What would you imagine that conversation would be like? Like, what would he say? What would you feel? Like, if it's Sunday morning, you're like, what's up, bro? If it's Friday night, you're like, send a voicemail, right? You know, like, I don't know what your world might be like. But imagine if Jesus called you. What would that? What would he ask? What would he say? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. It's often easy to keep Jesus at a distance, but the idea that he would call your cell phone and want to talk to you, ask you a question, invite you to something, that makes it a lot more personal. And that's exactly what he did for some fisherman when he was walking around on the planet 2,000 years ago. And I wonder what they thought when he invited them. Because you and I have all had those experiences where you've been invited to something and it didn't stack up to the invitation. The party's going to be awesome. And then it's like, we're the only ones here. You know, This is going to be a great promotion. It's a perfect fit for you. We can't wait to have you step into this new role at the company. And then you get there and you're like, that is not at all the job you promised me. Right? That you have these moments where you've been invited to something And it perhaps wasn't what you experienced. And maybe for some of you, faith has been that way. The idea of religion or following Jesus even, becoming a Christian, has left you disappointed. You weren't given all the information. That there was fine print that you never got handed. And so now you're in the experience yourself. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. This is different than what I signed up for. And specifically for those of us that do what I do, we're watching an entire generation saying, no thanks. Because they aren't being told what Jesus actually invited them into. And so perhaps for you, and I know for me as well, this is a really important question and conversation to have, even if you've been in church like I have my whole life. And so we're going to look at what Jesus actually said to some of his very, very first followers. And in doing so, our hope is that it reminds us of what he's actually wanting to say and what he's inviting you and me into Because regardless of what group you were in, whether you were the groupies and you only saw Jesus when he showed up, whether you followed him around and you were part of the 175, or if you were some of the closest, most inner invited circle, the, the 12 apostles, to each of those groups, they all saw that Jesus was painting a very, very clear picture that what he was about, and more importantly, more specifically, what God was about in and through him was different than what they expected, and it was different from what they had experienced. And it was different from any other religious activity or experience or rabbi that they had seen come and go in their lifetime. That what Jesus was inviting us into, what Jesus was inviting, who we're going to see in a moment, Peter, James, John, and Andrew into, was a relational engagement with God. That actually, how God's always wanted to do it is to have a relationship, a duality, a push and pull, a, a tactile and interactive engagement with you. And yet for many of us, and definitely for these four men, their their invitation to an experience with God was often one that was just transactional. Just you do your thing. I'll do my thing. Tell me the rules, and we know how to play along, right? And in the first century Jewish culture, they were all about the rules, and they know how to play the right religious game. And they knew who was playing it right, and they knew who was playing it wrong. And then Jesus shows up, it says there's so much more to the story, so much so that, in fact, in my inner circle, I'm going to invite some notorious rule breakers to be a part of that inner circle. Something that would have made the crowds go, wait, 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 hold up one second. We know that notorious rule breaker as the Apostle Matthew. And so we're going to read his account of this moment where Jesus invites his first followers. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, If not, there's a blue Bible in the seat back pocket directly in front of you. I would invite you to grab it in the blue Bible. I believe we're on page 472, Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. Uh, and, and I had a conversation with someone that you're gonna meet later in our service, and he told me that when he started coming, he didn't have a Bible, and so he stole a Bible from our church, and I said, that is the greatest thing I've ever heard. And so if you don't have a Bible that you can understand, I would encourage you, Grab this Bible and take it home with you. Someone did it at the 9 o'clock. I love it. We would love to restock our Bibles because that means they're in your hands. So well done, sir. Uh, And so check out Matthew chapter 4 uh, with me. Imagine that conversation at brunch. I went to this new church and stole their Bible. Your street cred just went through the roof. All right, so (laughs) chapter 4, verse 18. uh, Jesus has been teaching, and he's kind of amassed this, this crowd, but he goes by the Sea of Galilee and starts talking And he says some really interesting things. says, while he was by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who Matthew tells us is later called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. That was their family business. They were catching fish. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Nice little play on words there, Jesus. I'm not a fisherman. I'm a fisher of men. I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. So uh, you're welcome. So immediately, two of you got that. I love it. It's okay. We'll, we'll catch up later. Uh, two, you know, immediately, Simon and Andrew left their nets and followed Jesus. Jesus keeps going. And from there, he saw two other brothers. Apparently, nepotism is kind of Jesus' M.O., right? James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. If we have a boy, I think we're going to name him Zebedee. That sounds awesome. Uh, but that was their dad's name. Just kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, in the boat, he would, they were there with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets. Because, see, in Jewish culture, they didn't have rods and reels. They caught fish with nets. And so they would fish all night because the Sea of Galilee it's huge. It's not the Pacific Ocean, but it's pretty large. And so when it gets hot, the fish swim deeper during the day. But when it was cool at night, the fish would rise to the surface and made it a lot easier for them to catch. And so these guys were mending their nets after a hard, intense night's work. So they're almost to the finish line. They're, they're ready to go home, kick their feet up, and have a drink. Like, that's kind of where they are in their process, mending their nets with their father in the boat. And Jesus says, come and follow me. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Like, this isn't like super spiritual. This is just irresponsible. Like, poor Zebedee's just hanging out by himself. He's like, what? Guys, wait up, come back, right? And so, this is this moment where Jesus invites people to follow him. Now, on the surface, that might feel very mundane. Like, so, what's, what's the big deal? You have to understand that the context, the reason that these young men had been fishing in the first place is because they went into the family business because they had been passed up previously. The the highest regard for young Jewish boys in the first century, again, they're living in a, a, granted, Roman-occupied, but they're living in a theocratic government system where the highest value for them, the highest aspirational for them with their life is to go follow and be the apprentice of a traveling rabbi. All the best Jewish boys were chosen already. And so Simon, who we know as the Apostle Peter, James and John, Andrew, all these brothers, they went into the family business and became fishermen because they thought no one wanted them. And so when Jesus says, come follow me, that's why they're quick to jump and even leave what had been their normal life, which we're going to come back to in a minute, and see what is important. They leave that to go follow Jesus, that they know nothing about him, and he seems to know nothing about them. And I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you feel like there's an invitation, there's something you got to do in your life, there's something that Jesus is calling you to, and you don't know what to expect. I mean, that is the question that these boys would experience. When Jesus called you, what did he call you to? When Jesus called you, what did he call you to? And and this, this phrase, follow me, is brand new in this time. Brand new in this cultural context. To come and follow Jesus, given the fact that they had already found their Life's work, and I remember as a kid again, like I said, growing up in church, I would hear this passage taught on, and people would use it as a you know, pretty high guilt motivator, right? Like, look, they left everything and jumps to follow Jesus, and so you should do the same thing. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, then He's not Lord at all. I'm like, uh, can I like finish high school first? Like, that would be great. Uh, my dad would really appreciate it, uh, you know. But we have this moment where we can feel like I don't have that kind of faith, like, to leave everything and become the apostle. Peter, like, and and imagine if Jesus could have shown Peter what hung in the balance of that decision. If you've ever been to uh, the, the Middle East or to Europe and you see all of these places that are built with Peter's name on it, like, wow, imagine what stood in the balance for Peter's small yes in that moment. But yet, that's not really what was at play. That's not really what was going on. It was a simple invitation to follow him, to take a step. And that same invitation is here for you and me today. And and what I love is that in this moment, and this is why we miss this, because some of us, this isn't our immediate cultural context, but when we really think about it, it's still very, very prevalent today, is that this was so different from the religious system that they were used to and the religious system that they were operating within. And it's so different from how religion works even now, 2,000 years later. You see, religion says, change, and then you can join us. Like, change your life, clean up your situation. I mean, they were fishermen, so they probably had sailors' mouths to begin with. We find out that Peter certainly did, right? Change your life, change your behavior, and then you can tag along. But first, got to take care of cleaning this up. And maybe that's how you felt at certain points in your life. You've been on on the outside looking in because you didn't feel like you had it all figured out, that you weren't good enough to join in what Jesus was doing. As we prayed this week over the rocks that were dropped at the foot of the cross last Sunday about who was on the, you know, who was on the exception list of all people, it has grieved my heart to pick up a handful, I mean like six, seven, eight different rocks, and the word on it was myself, that people felt they were too far. That they had done something in their past so they didn't, you know, step up and add up to what they expected from, you know, God would have expected them. And so they said, I'm the exception. I'm too far for what God wants to do. And I want to tell you that that's the work of religion in your life. And that is the opposite of what Jesus is all about. And Jesus so clearly says, no, no, no. It's not change and then you can follow me. It's come follow me. Come follow me. As you are. Right now, you're invited. Oh, by the way, when you do that, you're going to change. Something's going to be different. I'm going to expose you to stuff that you never thought was actually in you that's actually in you. I'm going to guide you and direct you to be around people that you've actually thought you were doing the right thing by avoiding your whole life up to this point. I'm actually going to challenge you to step out into spaces of faith that make you do things that you never expect that you would do. But come, follow me, but just be forewarned. You're going to change in the process. That's actually what Jesus, and that is revolutionary and upside down, inside out compared to what religion was telling these four men and compared to what religion tells you and me. And so when Jesus says, come and follow me, it's this open-handed invitation saying, I'm taking all the risk and you're getting all the reward. I'm taking all the risk of, Kurt, your life that's not all put together, that's not all figured out. I want you to still come and be a part. And the person that's writing this down for us to understand is Matthew, the one that everyone was shocked that he would have been invited to even remotely be included in what Jesus was doing, much less in his inner circle. Because this is what is so powerful about loving and following Jesus. And, and, And you know that this is true in your life as well. When you follow something, when you run after something, when you love something, it changes you. We were huddling up with our volunteers before the 9 o'clock service. I had them ask someone that was next to them, hey, when was a time in your life when your love for something changed how you behaved? And it wasn't, like, asked of you. It was was just automatic. It just began to happen. And someone said, my roommates in college, they just loved college football. And I didn't really care at all, but, like, I wanted to get to know them and become friends. And as we got to know each other and spent more time together, we just began watching college football, and I began to love college football, and now I love college football, and, and maybe now people wish he didn't love college football, but he loves college football. Uh, you know, and you have this action that shows up in your life, but it started with this impetus of relationship, and Jesus knows that's actually the best way for us to change. Imagine if, if your closest relationship, uh, I'll talk just to the ladies for a second. Uh, imagine if this coming Valentine's Day, your husband or, or boyfriend said, hey, you know what? I want to make this a great Valentine's Day. So I've looked up online, thenot.com what the best things for a husband to do on Valentine's Day are. And I'm just going to check off those lists. So I got you some flowers. Here's some flowers. I got you chocolates. Here's some chocolates. I bought you jewelry because I'm a good husband. Here's some jewelry. I got you Alexis with a big bow on top because that's what I saw on the Internet. Here you go. And you're like, that sounds great. Uh, I, I booked dinner. Uh, we're going to see a movie, and then we're going to do other Valentine's Uh, day-related activities after that, Uh, and it's going to be a great Valentine's Day. You're welcome. I fulfilled my obligation to you. Imagine how you would feel in that moment. You're like, that's not what we're going to do on Valentine's Day. Or maybe perhaps you're like, that's what Valentine's Day was last year, and it was awful. Uh, I hope that wasn't your Valentine's Day. There's something that happens when someone says, here, I've done what is obligated for me to do for you that loses all credibility in our life. You don't, you don't want it. When someone says, here, I, I found the list. I checked all the boxes. You're welcome. Something in you is like, gosh, I save it. Like, I wish you would have done nothing instead. And that's actually what God says. That's actually what God says about our relationship with him. Because for many of us, that experience, that fictitious story about Valentine's Day, is how many times, for me and maybe for you as well, I approach my relationship with God. Hey, God, here's what I've heard needs to happen. I've got to go to church like every other month or at least Christmas and Easter. Got it. Hey, you know, i gotta I got to spend some time with certain kinds of people, and I'm supposed to not spend time with these people. I can do that. Uh, I was supposed to give money occasionally, when you know, to appease my guilt. Got it. can do that. Oh, I've got to spend, i got to read the Bible. Cool. They said I could steal a Bible from church. I'll do that. Uh, uh, you know. There's these things that we can do. It's, hey, it's, I read the list. I fulfilled my obligation. I'm done. You're welcome. And, and if we're not careful, we can approach our relationship with God and look to him and be like, I fulfilled my obligation to you. You are welcome. And there's often that that space can creep into our soul. I know it can for me. And yet what Jesus says is so different. He says, no, no, no. I want you to come and follow me. I want you to grow in a relationship of love with me. And that is brand new for them, and if we're honest, for some of us. That that we can approach church, we can approach our time with the Lord, we can approach worship, we can approach serving, giving, any of these things that Jesus so clearly invites all of us to do as if it was like only for the super spiritual ones or only when we have to pay God back for something. Hey, spring break was awesome. I really should start giving. Hey, I need to read my Bible now because what I was reading the other day was not so good. Hey, I should go to church because that date I shouldn't have gone on it. Like we all can have these moments where we think you know, we're paying God back. It's like, you're welcome, God. But in fact, what Jesus is inviting all of us into is to take small Simple steps to simply walk in His direction from wherever it is that you are. And let Him change us. Let Him do something in us. See, there's a moment in your life that maybe you've had already, and if you haven't, I pray you do, where something will happen. If you've decided to become a follower of Jesus, where something will happen where you realize you have to make a choice. Because There's a lot of benefits to following Jesus. And yet Jesus is not designed to be an add-on to our life. See, in our our culture, we can think Jesus is this great perk. Like, it's like, I got my fire insurance. I got my get-out-of-jail-free card. Thanks so much, Jesus. Really appreciate it. But yet that's not at all what Jesus came to do. And that's not at all what Jesus invited you and me into. And it's certainly not what he invited these four men to do. But yet, there's this moment where you realize hey, there are, there are benefits. There are things that will go better in my life if I'm following Jesus. I grew up going to church, and again, I thrived in a religious system. Because you tell me the rules, I'm going to crush it. Like, I'm going to give me all the lists, I'm going to knock them all off. And, and when I'm a kid, to be honest, you know, because faith was a part of the fabric of my family, like following Jesus was just helpful, it kept me out of trouble. But I remember there was this moment in high school. When I had to make my faith my own, and it was really this moment where I realized, if I'm gonna do this thing that Jesus, I know Jesus has invited me to do, it's gonna cost me something. Like, there's gonna be a loss. I'm gonna lose out on something that matters to me. I'm gonna lose people's approval. I'm gonna have to not go to that party, or I'm gonna not participate in the thing that my friends are all doing and they seem to be fine with, but inside I'm like, I have this tension that I'm wrestling with. And in that moment, I knew, I was no longer a Jesus consumer. I knew I was a Jesus follower. No one had to tell me. I didn't have to tell anybody else. It wasn't a box I checked on the census because I'm not anything else. I'm just Christian. No, no, no. I was actively following Jesus and I knew it because I had to deny myself to choose him. And in that moment, when that When that shift happened in my life and in every moment since when that shift has had to happen in my life, I was so clearly confident that I was actually following Jesus. And as your pastor, I pray that you have that moment regularly where you have to say, man, this is actually going to ask, take, cost something of me to do this following Jesus thing. That it actually isn't always easy. It isn't even always what I envisioned. Because in that moment, you recognize I'm no longer just a fan or a groupie or a Jesus consumer. I'm actually following. See, the reality is is that God's love is free, it's going to cost you nothing. But following Jesus will cost you something. See, God's love is free, it costs you nothing. It's not cheap. It costs Jesus a lot. He gave his life so that you and I could be in a relationship with God that was defined by love and not by fear. So God's love is free. It costs you nothing. But following Jesus eventually will cost you something. It will cost you something. There will be a moment when you have to make a choice. And it will feel almost like a moral imperative for you. For some of you, that, that choice, that moment, this is real time for you. Like this is, this is right now in your life. Like there's, there's an offer in your inbox that you have to ask yourself a really hard question. Or maybe there's a text on your phone or a message in your DMs that you know if, if to follow Jesus, you just need to not call her back or to delete that message. For some of you, there's a space where you've been holding on to comfort and convenience and you know it. And it's not even sinful, but it's just missing out on what Jesus has invited you into. And this idea of following, the idea of going the way of Jesus, is never to be defined by obligation. Because when you begin to see that cost, that thing that you might lose in light of what you've gained by following Jesus in eternity, it really doesn't even matter anymore. See, when when I think about you, and I think about people in general. When I'm focused on me, I get real self-conscious. I'll be honest with you. And you're like, that's weird. You like stand on stage and talk for a living. It's true, right? But I, I get really nervous about what you think. Do they like it? I'm reading your faces even as I'm talking right now, and you're giving me nothing. But that's okay. Uh, you know, like, and, and, and I can get locked up in what do people think about me. But when I'm level set on what Jesus has said is true, and when I'm clear on what he's invited me to do, It doesn't really matter what you think. And those are when I'm in my best, truest spaces, and I know that. That that's the best life I can live is when I'm so clear what God has said is true about me that I don't worry about what you have to say. That I'm so clear what God has said is important that I don't worry about what the bank account says. But I'm so clear about what God has said is important that I'm not as concerned about whether or not y'all think I'm crazy in the front row worship with my hands in the air because I know what Jesus has saved me from and he deserves everything I got. And so I don't mind moving my schedule around, moving my finances around, moving my priorities around because I want to prioritize the one who prioritized me. And that's what it means to love and follow Jesus. The other day, uh, my three-and-a-half-year-old, w- we were playing, and I was watching the kids, and Katie was out uh, doing some stuff. And, you know, if, you, if you're a parent of young kids, you know that silence is almost always bad, right? Uh, and so I had one of those moments where I was playing with Layton, and we were building trains or something that he's into right now, I'm sure. Uh, and I realized I haven't seen or heard Selah in about what felt like six years, but it was probably about ten minutes. Uh, and then all of a sudden I hear her upstairs. She said, Dad! I'm like, yeah, baby, you Okay. And she's like, never mind, I'm coming down. And I'm like, uh-oh, right? <laughs> you have that, that moment, like, what is it going to be like? And she comes downstairs to the main floor of our house, and she's like, come with me, follow me. And she, like, grabs me and Layton by the hand and starts, like, leaning, like she's pulling us up. And, you know, I'm, I'm 220 pounds, and she's probably 20. And so she didn't really have a chance. But I'm like, I'll, I'll come with you. And, and you have this moment, again, like, where you, you do things that someone that you love asks you to do, right? And so I went upstairs with my daughter. And she had taken all of her toys out of the little kid kitchen, all like the Melissa and Doug food and all the stuff like that, all on the floor, all the big box of Legos, all on the floor, all the stuffed animals and pillows, all on the floor. And she takes me and goes, look what I did. I made a mess. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, you sure did. Yep. Guess who's going to clean that up? Probably dad. You know, <laughs> you know, I had that moment, right? And then she goes, but you know what I learned? I'm like, what? She goes, I'm going to build a Lego tower. And she began to sit down and goes, watch me. And, like, I think she just wanted to, and She starts putting Legos one on top of each other and starts stacking it up really, really high. And then as soon as she was, like, about to be so excited to, like, get it to almost as high as she was, you know, and to show it to us, Leighton walks over and just goes, Psh! and just smacks it. And then I had to do some, like, UFC referee situation parenting, uh, you know, to keep them from hurting each other. She was so mad. But in that moment, I'm like, my heart was like, oh, my gosh, baby girl, I'm so proud of you not because that was the good dad thing to do but because it was genuine like it was easy for me to go up the stairs when she said come follow me cuz i love her it was easy for me to be like wow that's so amazing rather than my cynical self who's like that's like super basic engineering like legos were designed to click together that's not impressive that's like what the, that's the sole purpose of legos But instead, I was like, wow, that's so amazing. It's as tall as you are. And it wasn't because I had read somewhere on a checklist that that's what good dads do. It was because she's my daughter. It it was the most natural thing in me. It, It felt like breathing. To be affirming. To be excited. To want to go where she wanted me to go. And so when you are in this moment where the wrestling happens in your relationship with Jesus, can I give you a clue? You can tell how much you really love and follow Jesus by how willing you are to be inconvenienced or to stand out or to go somewhere that you didn't think you were supposed to go or do something that doesn't feel natural to you when you know That's what God's calling you to do. You can know how much you love and follow Jesus by how quick you are to say no thanks to the thing that I wanted and yes, please, to the thing God's inviting you into. Some of you, I know your story. You're doing this on a daily basis at your job. You're doing this in your relationship right now because it's rough and it's so easy for you to want to strike back at your spouse and yell back at them, but instead you choose to forgive. Some of you, the fact that you're even in a church is a humongous act of trust and forgiveness because of how church people have hurt you in the past. So for you to even give it a second shot, it's pretty remarkable. But God doesn't expect you to get it all figured out before you show up. He simply invites you to follow him. See, when when Peter, that fisherman that would be invited by Jesus to come and follow him, that would jump out of his boat He became, you know, Simon became Peter when Jesus said, this is the man I'm going to build the church on, this idea that I'm the the Christ, the son of the living God, that God, you know, said to Peter. You know, if you've been tracking this for a couple weeks, we walked through that story a few weeks ago. And then Peter, in Jesus' greatest moment of need, Peter denies him, says, I never knew him, which leads to Jesus' arrest and eventual crucifixion. And so in that moment, when Jesus was killed, the movement was over. Hope was lost. At the moment we're about to read in the scriptures, there were no Jesus followers. Everybody had left. The the groupies had stayed home. The 175 followers didn't know what to do. And even the men and women who were in the closest circle of Jesus, the 12 apostles, had scattered and run for their lives and hid. And Peter, we read in John chapter 21, said, You know what? I'm just going to go back to fishing. It's what I know it's comfortable, I know how to do it, gotta do something. I thought this was the way, I thought Jesus was the Messiah, I must have been wrong, because he's dead now. And so he goes back to fishing. And then there's this moment when he gets to the shore, and he hears a man a long way off say, hey, have you caught anything? He says, no, we didn't find anything. He says, well, try the other side. Like, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. He's like, That's not, like, how, like, marine biology works. Like, I don't think it's going to do it. but, But he does it anyways, and he catches more fish than he can possibly even pull into the boat. And then this moment happens. The light bulb goes off, or Peter remembers that's happened before. Jesus has done that before. This must be Jesus. And again, he jumps out of his comfort, jumps out of his boat, swims to shore to where we pick up in John chapter 21 that Jesus has cooked him breakfast. What a gentleman. And Jesus asks him, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? See, this is the question at the bottom of all of the spaces where you and I find it hard to follow, is do you love me? Do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than this familiar space in your life? Do you love me more than these other apostles, these other people? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, and feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, tend to my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John. Again, he used to be Peter. He calls him Simon. He reminds him of who he was. Do you love me? Peter, it says, was grieved because he said to him a third time. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. And so he asked him three times, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And so Jesus says, feed my sheep. He goes on to tell him, hey, when you were young, you got to do what you wanted. But when you're old, someone else is going to take you away that you don't want to go. And he told him this so that he would know, this is how you're actually going to die because of your faith in me. To which Peter goes, well, what about everybody else? And Jesus says, you don't have to worry about everybody else. You do you. Now come and follow me. And the good news for all of us, the good news for you and for me is that you're not going to face the same fate that Peter did. Like, you're probably not going to be crucified upside down for your faith in Jesus. We live in a much better time. But that was what Jesus invited Peter to do. And Peter's faith was reinstigated when Jesus, again, at the end of his ministry said, now come and follow me. But when, when Jesus asked him that, I don't know about you. If I was in Peter's shoes, I'd be like, I don't know what he's going to say. We have the luxury of history, but remember, he denied Jesus in Jesus' greatest moment of need that led to Jesus' execution. And he didn't even kick him out of the group. He says, no, I'm still going to make you in charge of the whole enterprise. Just don't do that again, Peter. (laughs) See, there's this moment for each of us when as much as we might have failed, as much as we might not have it all figured out, as much as we still think we have a long way to go, you're right. You do. Me too. And yet that's the beauty of defining a relationship with God, not by rules and checklists and not by duty and obligation and certainly not by fear, but defining and listening to Jesus, that your relationship and God and mine, the opportunity that we have to connect with our Heavenly Father was made possible by Jesus so that it's a relationship based on love, not a transaction based on religion. And that you and I can take small baby steps towards Jesus at our own pace, and it's still progress. And so for some of you, the question is, where's the progress? Like for those of you that said, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm here, I'm in. Is it just in our minds, or is there a real progress in your life when it comes to showing up and saying, I'm, I'm loving and following Jesus? Like when he said, hey, You're going to be fishers of men. Like, you're actually going to be people that spread my message to other people. Like, how's that going in my life? How's that going in your life? Like, who are you inviting to understand what you've come to understand? Who are you inviting to experience what you've experienced? Because I guarantee you, I don't know everything about everything in your story. I guarantee you there are people in your neighborhood, at your job, in your family, that need to know that their loving Heavenly Father sees them and cares about them right now. There, There are people that need to know that. When Jesus says, hey, do you love me, Peter, says, then, then feed my sheep, tend to my lambs. What he's saying is, show me by how you care for other people. So where in your life are you serving other people? Maybe it's here. Maybe you have yet to step into a spot where you're actually showing up to church, not just to sit and listen, but to actually contribute and to serve. Or maybe it's out there in your life somewhere. Like, How are you serving people in your home or at your office? Jesus says, do you love me? How would I answer that? How can I say, yeah, look, here's what I'm doing, and it's not out of obligation. It's because I know it's what you've invited me to do. When we come to church to worship, is it a, is it a have to? Or is it a get to? Like, like, honestly. And there's no guilt or judgment. This isn't about what I'm saying. This is about you asking that question in your own life to say, man, if I really understood what stood in the balance of eternity and what God has done for my life, why do I care what the person next to me thinks? I'm going to worship the way I need to worship. I'm going to go for it. That, that I'm going to move my schedule around to make sure that this can be a priority. I'm actually going to move my finances around so that I can say I want to contribute to the thing that is going to have the best eternal ROI possible, which you're going to get to witness in just a minute. There's nothing else I could spend my money on that's more important than that. Like, when we have those moments where we go, this is actually going to move something in my life. There's power there. And that's the invitation that Jesus would give to you if he were to call you. That's what he would say. And what's so incredible about this is we actually get to see people responding to that invitation in our church. Last Sunday... As we talked about who is the exception to all people in your life. And more importantly than that is through reading of the scriptures and understanding who Jesus was. Our friend Jim started following Jesus last Sunday here at our church, which is so cool. Congratulations. And in a minute, you're going to get to witness him going public with his faith and to say, I don't have it all figured out. I'm still on a journey. But here's what I know. Jesus has given me life and I'm all in. And in that moment, he is literally following Jesus' footsteps to get uncomfortable and to be baptized. I mean, I wish we had like a hot tub with jets, but we, we we just got some, just some water. And he's the, so far, only one going swimming this service. But maybe for some of you, you need to join him. Because maybe you started following Jesus a while ago. Or maybe you have started following Jesus as a kid, and and yet you've never taken that step to get baptized. You've never said, hey, you know what? It takes a lot of courage to say that I'm going as best as I know how towards the way of Jesus. And this is how you can communicate that to your church family that loves you. And it's not an obligatory thing. It's not a religious duty. It's a celebration that we can say we're with you and for you. And maybe you've never taken that step. And maybe today's your day. And maybe you didn't come prepared. And maybe you're like, wait, I don't, how? We have a shirt in your size. We have shorts in your size. We even have underwear and hair products. Because we want to make it as simple as possible for you to do what God's invited you to do. Because we care so deeply that we're not just a spiritual club that we come and sit and face one direction one day a week. But that we are people that are actively, as best we know how, taking steps towards Jesus. And so if, as a team, we can remove any barrier, it's not because we like church. Like, we actually don't care a whole lot about the organizational church. And that's job specific for us. We, we care about you. We care about people. Saying it's best than I want to love and follow Jesus. And so perhaps for you, when I'm done praying, your best next step is to stand up and head out the back doors where Sam, our connection director, has those things waiting for you so that you can take your step this morning. So we would love to celebrate your baptism here today as well. So I'm going to pray for us. I'd invite all of you, if you're able, to stand with us. And if you have never begun a relationship with Jesus that's defined by loving, if you've just done the religious thing, maybe today's your day. Maybe this is the moment that God brought you here for a reason so that you would understand that what Jesus invited Peter and John and Andrew and James to do, he actually invites and calls you to do as well. That you're not just here to check a box, but that your life would be marked as a person who's actively loving and following Jesus and moving in his direction, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's inconvenient, or even when it requires something of you. So maybe today's your day. Maybe you could do that through baptism. Maybe that's the best next yes for you. So I'd love to pray for you. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this incredible community that we get to see people begin new life because of you, to figure out what it means to follow you, to figure out what it means to trust you more and fall more in love with you. Thank you, Jesus, so much that you did not say, fix your life and then you can join us. Thank you that you said, join me And it will change your life. I'm personally grateful that you invited me to follow you. And I pray that if anyone in this room right now hears your whisper in their soul, that invitation to begin to follow you, that maybe their very best next step would be to join Jim in the waters of baptism. But God, I'm so grateful for how you've been pursuing Jim, what you've done in his life, the people you've place in his path, the Bible that he stole from our church, that he's been reading faithfully to figure out who you are and that you have showed up faithful, God, and that he's simply responding to your faithfulness with obedience of his own. So God, we celebrate that you are on the move in our community. In your name we pray, amen.